So Blake, who are we talking to today? So our guest today is Gretchen Shipley, a partner at the law firm Fagan, Freeman, and Fullfrost, who works a lot with schools on data privacy and general regulations. Hmm. I interviewed her for an article on the student privacy issues of Pokemon Go a while back. And at the end of our interview, she started talking about some new laws that were about to present big problems for schools. So when I caught up with her at our California Superintendent Summit, I wanted to know what she's thinking the biggest legal issues will be for the upcoming year. What's one of the ones that she mentioned? So ADA compliance is very much on the rise. Remind me, what is ADA compliance again? So it's making sure your policies and practices are working within the Americans with Disabilities Act. Ah, okay. Its scope is expanding as advocates ask schools to do more and to provide equal access. For example, does a school website have a read-out-loud option for visually impaired students? That's a potential ADA violation if it doesn't. Wow, so see, that's super specific, and I probably would have never thought about it like that. Yeah, I hadn't either. I feel like most people haven't. I think that's why Gretchen has a job. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, before we get to that, we have some news, so we'll do that first. Right. I'm Blake Montgomery. And I'm Mary Jomata. Let's get started. Hundreds of institutions paid homage this week to inventor, mathematician, and arguably the founder of educational computing, Seymour Papert, who passed away on July 31st. In the EdSurge newsletter, MIT professor Mitch Resnick expressed his respect for his former teacher's humanity. He writes, I never met anyone who was, at once, so playful and so serious about ideas. But more importantly, Seymour dedicated his life to providing these same opportunities to others. He developed tools, activities, and strategies to provide everyone, everyone, with opportunities to find and follow their passions, to explore and experiment with ideas, to develop and deliver their voices. New Schools Venture Fund has announced $7 million in new funding opportunities for educators and entrepreneurs focused on launching new school models, creating ed tech for English language learners, and are creating better pipelines for leaders of color in education. This comes at a time when CEO Stacy Childress writes that the nonprofit has adjusted its strategy after looking across the entire sector and considering how they could make the biggest impact, both now and into the future. This week, California became the 16th state to join the U.S. Department of Education's Go Open campaign an effort to bring more free, open educational resources into schools. State Superintendent of Public Instruction, Tom Torlakson, also announced that the DOE has partnered with professional development provider, Declara, to launch Collaboration in Common, an online professional learning community for teachers to exchange resources. Three MIT STEM education programs, Saturday Engineering Enrichment and Discovery Academy, CODELT, and the Women's Technology Program in Electrical Engineering and Computer Science are all about to welcome a lot more members. The Dean Hopper Foundation has donated $1 million over the next two years for these programs to expand their operations, which focus on recruiting and supporting underserved middle and high school students into STEM disciplines. Google Cardboard, Nearpod, Global Nomads, there's no shortage of K-12 VR products for teachers and students to choose from. But a Center for Digital Education post asks, does the technology's growing availability translate to value in the classroom? Writer Jennifer Snelling argues that while VR content may keep students enthralled and engaged, 
educators must be mindful about aligning the experience to instructional needs. On July 29th, the latest class from Stanford's Learning, Design, and Technology program presented their thesis projects. Five of the 16 projects on display explored ways to teach students how to think about their own thinking and learning, commonly dubbed metacognition. Other popular ideas focused on math instruction. And now it's time for Kachings. Wonder Workshop, a San Mateo, California based startup, has raised a $20 million Series B round led by WI Harper Group and Idea Bulb Ventures with participation from Learn Capital, Charles River Ventures, Madrona Venture Group, and TCL. The company's flagship products are two round blue robots, Dash and Dot, that introduce students ages 6 through 12 to computational thinking. CEO Vikas Gupta tells EdSurge they're dashing to foreign markets, especially China. Matific, an Israeli math startup, has raised a $45 million Series B round led by Australian entrepreneur and Matific co-founder Leon Kamenev. The raise brings the company's venture capital to $58 million after a $12 million round back in 2015. According to COO Gil Almog, this current round will provide the team with, quote, even more growth opportunities and allow us to expand our R&D center and global sales team. So, again, we're talking to education lawyer Gretchen Shipley today. Right, and she's going to tell us what she's working on and forecast the big legal issues in education and ed tech. Did you know there's a new law that prohibits government workers from accessing personal devices, even if they're government issued, without permission? Really? Whoa, okay. Well, how does that apply to schools? So they're technically government agencies, so teachers looking into student devices could be in violation of the law, Mm. even though that's a super necessary practice. Mm -hmm. So here's Gretchen, who can explain it much more in depth than I can. So... First of all, can you just tell our listeners your, who you are? My name is Gretchen Shipley, and I'm with the law firm of Fagan Friedman Fullfrost. We call ourselves F3, and I chair our legal practice dedicated to education and technology for public uh, school education here in California. Very cool. And so on the panel that we just saw, you one of the most striking things that I remember is you said you went to a school and they had 21 products in play and zero really passed muster. So can you tell me, can you tell me like the full story? Because we got just a little bit on the panel itself. Absolutely. So one of the challenges for school districts in California is that there are multiple data privacy laws and requirements that are specific to the state of California and Mm -hmm. to the school environment. Is California the strictest state in the nation, do you think? One of the strictest, Um, which is a a good thing if when we're talking about keeping children safe and that their data is protected and safe. Mm -hmm. But so um, what these laws require, in particular AB 1584, which is codified in Ed Code 49073.1. Oh my God, look at you. Yeah, that's, as a lawyer, that's my job is to throw out some numbers, um, <laughs> some statutes. <laughs> uh, but in that specific statute, for example, there are nine elements that need to be in any contract between a school district and a software vendor if they're using pupil information. And with all this new individualized instruction, they're using pupil data to provide um, individualized instruction. And so we just were going through and assisting school districts 
uh, to make sure that those nine elements were in their contracts. And we put together a checklist so school districts could do it themselves and wouldn't always have to reach out to legal counsel. Right. But in doing that, some districts didn't have the resources in-house and asked us, look, these are the 21 different pieces of software we use district-wide. Can you go ahead and vet them for us? And when we vet them, we did a checklist of all nine elements and not one of their 21 software met all nine requirements. And so I think one thing that was important that I said earlier today at EdSurge was um, our job is not to say, no, you can't use this software. It's how can we work with the software company or how can we give a school district the tools to work with the software company to either modify their agreement or in some instances they've been modified their product so that it's legally compliant in California. And most software vendors want to do business in California and so they're, they're appreciative of the knowledge and information that um, we can help them alter their product or alter their agreement. I should also mention that for the software vendors, one challenge, and that is very understandable, that across the U.S., it's approximately 138 different data privacy laws. So I understand if you're a vendor of software, it's hard to come up with terms and conditions that are going to meet every state's mm. different set of laws. And so there is a little bit of a call to action back on the vendor and on the in software industry for them to take proactive steps to put out a product that meets all of these data privacy laws. And, and are those, are, is, are the, the figure 138, is that a collection of state laws and federal yes. laws? Okay. So how vastly does it differ by state? Obviously California is pretty strict if I went to Texas. So um, I am licensed to practice here in California and so I have not delved too deep into the other states. It's I heard that states like Colorado have very strict requirements and then some states aren't even quite there yet and have hardly any data privacy <laughs> laws. So there's a huge spectrum. California, I would say, is fairly restrictive just because Ed Code 49073.1 um, had nine different specific elements that are supposed to be in an right. agreement. And when you make nine different elements that have to be in every agreement, that's a lot of different steps for a school district to have to go through and check. And um, they don't always have the resources to pick up the phone and call a lawyer every time they're acquiring software. Yeah. And then taking it a step further, many school districts don't know every time a teacher is downloading an app for all the devices in the classroom. So then they need a protocol where staff can turn around and have a, a vetting process. And, and that's one area where we've also tried to put some tools together, free resources, just like the Data Privacy Guide is a free re resource. We also have a video that we put together with um, SETPA, the California Educational Technology Professionals Association. There it is. Um, we made a, a short five-minute video for professional development called Ask Before You App, mm. geared at teachers to know what to look for before they download an app on cl in, class in the classroom. And it is things like, is there a social media component? Because there's a law prohibiting that. Are they advertising to children? There's a law prohibiting that. Are they collecting geolocation data for kids under 13? There's a law for that. And it's really just, here's what to look for. Because um, if they have any questions or concerns, they should probably be running it up the flagpole 
because the, the, the flip side of all of this is you don't want to be a superintendent or a school board member where you have parents, community members, privacy advocates who are going to challenge the district or question the, you know, the safety of their students and their privacy and all of their data. Yeah. Do you think it's, do you think schools are on their way to understanding this kind of thing or is there still like a big gulf in between kind of the majority of schools understanding of data privacy and full compliance with the law? I think one challenge I've run into recently is at the CTO and director of technology level, they really understand and they're really doing everything they can. Mm -hmm. But I think they need the resources like professional development time or the ability to work with legal counsel to vet contracts if they need it. Mm -hmm. or, and so sometimes it needs to, these issues need to also be more um, on the forefront for cabinet level and for superintendents and for school board members. And you know, for a cabinet level, for example, data privacy impacts you know, HR, just like I was talking about teachers downloading apps or um, you know, special ed, are they you know, providing you know, software that is both you know, data privacy issues as well as, you know, we do a lot of, um, we see a lot of, I call it Skype into the classroom, there's probably a more universal <laughs> term for it, but you know, there's data privacy issues if you're, home, if you're uh, Skyping in from the hospital or, and so we, I mean, there's really unique applications as uh, well. Oh, I see. But I mean, it should be, there should be a streamlined process in place. Superintendent school boards need to support that they're going to put policy in place, procedures in place, training in place. And so that's where the awareness, I think, needs to could mm -hmm. grow. Mm -hmm. On the other side, with company awareness, I think that it seems to me there are two sides. There's like awareness of what they're actually selling to schools but something that I've run into a lot is when we write about companies privacy policies they come back and say oh we would never do that but it's just because that becomes clear that like they haven't they don't understand what's in their privacy policy either um, I don't know how do you react to that does that happen very often and where can companies do their best to increase their own awareness right and aside so from First of all, not using boilerplate language. <laughs> so as legal counsel for school districts, I try to help school districts have a safe school environment. But really what we are pushing for is to put some of that burden back on the industry. Right. They have much more resources and bigger legal teams and big more dollars where they can invest the time to vet their own product and make representations that they have a legally compliant product. The school district should not have to be working so hard to make sure that what they're buying is a safe product. Mm. So, um, you know, whether it's some sort of labeling or standard, I do think more pressure needs to be put back on the industry. You raise an interesting point that sometimes I, I have also run into where there may be a vendor salesperson who may not always be communicating with the engineering side of the house who isn't communicating adequately with their lawyer who writes the terms and conditions. Mm -hmm. So the terms and conditions might say one thing. The person who engineers the product may not be able to actually 
engineer in a way that complies with the data privacy protocol. And then the salesperson might tell you a third thing. So, <laughs> you know, we run it, I mean, that is sort of the trifecta that we run into in working with vendors. And again, we all are on the same page. All of us want to make sure that there's safe products out there for kids and that their data is protected. And so, you know, it's really, we don't need to be adversaries. We all want to work together. But right now I feel like the, the school districts themselves are doing the lion's share of the work. Right. What would you say to a small startup that's just building like one app, it's probably, I don't know, six months into development or six months into kind of creating it. What would you say to them? Because it's in, I would think they are like strapped for resources, especially, and legal counsel is quite expensive. So um, I, I would, my, in my experience, vendors, both extremely large and extremely small, are the ones who struggle in complying the most. <laughs> <laughs> and the ones who, who are small, it's because we, the data we are talking about is really such a large, a small subset of the population. We are talking mm. about children in the educational context in the state of California. Mm. And so if you're a small, and so how many people know the education code inside and out? Not even lawyers in general all know the education, <laughs> you know, I'm an education lawyer. And so there are over a hundred thousand education code statutes. And so oh um, it's a very specialized area. And so it's understandable. So I would say to a new startup, um, we put out resources free resources to school districts to help them get into compliance. Those are equally available to um, a startup. And so, and I, and I have talked to a lot of startups and said, and, and, and that's usually where that communication is. The school district will put me in touch with them and I say, I have a, so we have a data privacy guidebook that's available on our website, f3law.com forward slash privacy. And you can find our data privacy guidebook there and ask before you app video is there for free if school districts want to share that with their staff for professional development. But um, what I tell them is that, um, you know, I have checklists, I have contract addendums that are simple, simply fill in the blank. Because even with school districts, I'm trying to help them help themselves and really be efficient. Just like a company can be really small, school districts can be really tiny as well mm. and not have the resources to call a lawyer every oh, time true. they have a new contract. I didn't think about that. So we just put together template agreements to help them through that process. Now on the flip side is the humongous software companies who also <laughs> say, well, why should I tailor my product to the US, the state of California, to children in the education context. Mm -hmm. And so we have definitely, I mean, there is a clause that you will see in major software company, international companies, standard terms and conditions that I've, you'll see it, I've seen it many times, which says, in using our product, you are granting us a non-revocable perpetual license to use all of your data nationally and internationally uh, you know and and I say you can't yeah do you cringe when you see that I cringe and then I and I have gone back to those companies and they said well that's our standard language and I said well it violates like 12 different laws I don't know what to tell you <laughs> <laughs> because the idea is you you can't just take student data and sell it internationally. Oh, it says to, and that they had the right to sell it as right. well. Um, and so there are 
And again, I'm not saying these things aren't possible. In every one of these scenarios, I'll say, well, can we somehow de-identify the student? Then you can use it. Is it being de-identified and aggregated for some purpose? That's okay. There's many things you can do. So like with COPA, one hot issue right now is augmented reality, like Pokemon, Pokemon Go, Go, which operates off of geolocation data. Right. Well, COPA has a prohibition against collecting geolocation data unless they have written parent consent. So, you know, some school districts are trying to be innovative and think, is there any way we can incorporate this in a curriculum? And I say, yes, you can, so long as you get that written parental consent put so you comply with COPA. So it would be easy to say, no, bad idea. <laughs> but we look for solutions that, you know, our mission is to help a school district achieve their mission. So if it's somewhere they want to get to, we're going to try to help them get there in a way that reduces any legal liability, mm. and best practices mm -hmm. and things like that. Along those lines, what are other issues that you think school districts are about to run up against in 2016-17? So there's Pokemon Go and augmented reality. I would think that like also the camera is kind of a difficulty with that, no? And with the Skype for Classrooms, if you're recording a student? Skype for Classrooms is interesting. Um, it, basically, mostly on an individual basis, we go in and put some really limited restrictions on that. Because mm. in a classroom, you're going to have other students in the room who are raising their hand or taking tests, and is their pupil records, so to speak, being protected. It's not just the individual student who's at home who's Skyping into the classroom. Oh, wow. It's, is it okay with the teacher? Is it okay with every other kid in the classroom? And so you need to usually get some sort of sign-off. Um, or can you configure it in a way where you're not getting a view of every other kid in the classroom? Yeah. I mean, there's some really in the, you know, exciting, unique challenges, but almost always... We're not saying no, we're saying how can we make this work? And right. clearly, if a kid is in the hospital and wants to be part of the educational process, that's a great innovative use of technology. Um, some other issues, one that's really hot right now is SB 178, right. which you is the legislation the in California that says you need consent before you can access any student-owned or district-owned device of an employee or student. Yeah, you don't seem so hot on it. <laughs> well, I think the challenge is there's very legitimate educational reasons. I mean, aside from misconduct, you know, let's right. say there's misconduct, you want to be able to access student device consent or no consent. Um, I, I, I should say a district-issued device. If it's a, even This law, SB 178, says you can't even look at a district-issued device without their consent. Huh. So um, what do you do if you have a misconduct situation and the student's saying, no, I'm not giving you access? But even the practical implications day-to-day -day are teachers remote in to district-owned devices all the time so that they can make sure a student is on task mm -hmm. or just to monitor how they're performing in the classroom and um, to, to say that you'd have to have their consent each time is just not realistic so so it's every time you can't students or parents can't grant a like longer lasting license well the, in the law isn't clear and I so see. that's what okay. we're doing right now is we're working with school districts to modify their policies so that that consent is granted up front at the beginning of the class at the year um, and it is an assumption of utilizing a district device or a condition on them bringing it to campus and so at the same time we're also working with the california legislature with axa aclu cta or all organizations are coming together to try to modify the language 
Yeah. So that districts can operate a little bit more efficiently. Uh, right. So that. Oh, so, so that you're working can, with the legislature right, to make so this a more they streamlined. They can change SB 178 um, so that there can be some degree of access with or without consent. Yeah. How do you think that got passed? Where led? Do you think legislators just weren't? quite aware of that day-to-day -day reality in the school? Well, the, the legislation, and I don't know the legislative history off the top of my head, to be honest. Fair. Um, but the law is written for all government agencies, and so it wasn't made specific to school districts. Right. So I don't know how much they took in, that into consideration. Mm -hmm. The remedy for violating it is a violation of the penal code. It, it's a penal code statute, which means criminal. Right. And it says that... So a that teacher could end up with... A criminal offense. No, 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 no. Sorry, I, I should clarify. It, oh. It, it, it's under the penal code, but what it says is if you use evidence in violation of the statute, it will be suppressed at a criminal hearing. You could not use it. It's, it's like an unlawful search and seizure of a car, right, right. and you come across a weapon or drugs. You then can't use it in their criminal hearing if you didn't give them, let's say, their Miranda warning or you didn't yeah. have a search warrant. It's similar here. If they were to do a search that didn't comply with SB 178, the only remedy is you can't use it in a criminal proceeding against them. So knowing that that's the remedy that attaches, it doesn't appear that it was intended for the school context. Right. And yet when we double checked with the legislator's office, they said, no, it says all government agencies, that includes <laughs> school districts. And so how would this really impact a school district as it's currently written? It would have to be if a school district uncovered information that was, they did a search without consent and they didn't have a policy in place and they came up with something that could be used in a criminal proceeding against a student or a teacher, mm -hmm. that evidence might be suppressed. And the police department wouldn't be so happy with you for doing right. this type of search. So I'm imagining like a scenario where a teacher is remoting in and finds something on someone's Snapchat. And it happens all the time. I mean, that the, the challenge is, any sort of sexting or even a, a, a drug deal, drug deals, yeah. um, cyber bullying that get, you know rises to the level of you know criminal harassment, mm -hmm. um, all could be grounds for suppression of evidence. But like I said, it's a pretty. It does not seem that that was the intended consequence for a school district search. And again, searching a device can be as basic as wanting to make sure they did their homework. Yeah. And so um, that's why we're working right now. I mean, I think it's um, just a matter of weeks before the legislation is going to be revised because I think all the interested parties have all agreed to some revised language. We just need to get it through the legislature. So, and you know, I'm not a lobbyist either. Uh, this is one, this is just one issue where we're trying to help school districts comply by helping them tweak their policies. And at the same time, we're so knowledgeable on the, the intricacies of the legal issues at school districts that we just help out organizations like AXA, the Association of California School Administrators, on these topics. Very cool. Well, are there any other issues that school districts are running up against? Okay, I will say the issue for the 2016-2017 school year, the hot, I mean, and it's not a good thing, it's the digital divide. And I know that's something oh, yeah. that's been talked about quite a bit, and I think from a legal perspective, it's something that we really need to get our arms around because digital divide can come up not just because of socioeconomic disparity. Right, that's how I think of it. It is also um, special education and having access to the same um, the same type of technology. 
um, you know, so making appropriate accommodations and modifications. There's a big push right now for ADA violations with things like district websites that um, are being pursued. Wow. Where like they're just not navigable by people with special needs. Right. So that yeah. So there's you know the Office of Civil Rights has put out um, has put out standards or has investigated school districts saying, you know, for example, you have someone out in the community who's visually impaired and can't adequately access a district website, and do they have the proper channels in place to make it available to people with special needs? So um, that's another place where the digital divide comes in. And then the last one is when you have students opting out of technology. Right. Then there's a, so I think those issues, the general umbrella is digital divide, and it's something that we definitely are gonna put more uh, resources into in this coming year that it's certainly not that data privacy is going away it's just this is a new set of challenge not always new but an evolving set of challenges and it's really coming to the forefront of sort of the legal issues and mm -hmm. uh, for school districts yeah it seems kind of like the law is catching up with school practices and maybe not at a, maybe like the two might clash well, in some areas, law hasn't caught up with technology, and in some areas, law is overly aggressive and too <laughs> restrictive. So, you know, it's a, ba it's a balance. Yeah. And I think, again, everybody's on the same page and trying to put, you know, we want innovation. Indiv individualized learning is a wonderful thing, but to do so, it uses student data. And how do we, um, how do we balance that and still provide a safe environment for kids? And on the panel also, you mentioned like the importance of being proactive, like ahead of these kinds of issues. Are there Absolutely. things that school districts or our listeners who are administrators or people at these summits even can do to get ahead of, especially like the ADA, the possible ADA violations and the digital divide? So that's exactly what we do is we talk to school districts and say, what's happening in your district? What do you need to know about? What and because if it's happening in one district, it's gonna be happening in another school district. And so we'll work together. So for example, in the data privacy, um, we're, we're bringing in the US Department of Ed, they have a department called PTAC, the Privacy Technical Assistance Center. They're coming in from DC. We're gonna meet with them and CDE, and we're inviting all the superintendents who wanna come and really drill down on data privacy. Yeah. And what are their issues? And then, um, you know, we put on a legal summit with SETPA each year, and we try to focus on what do they want to know? What are these new issues? And sometimes we don't have all the answers because law hasn't caught up with technology. And all we can do is say, here's some best practices given what the current law is, and here's how you can learn from one another, and, um, and really trying to identify what those issues are, best practices, and if, you know, we're, like I said, we're not an advocacy group, but they're, but they're there. So if they need to make change on mm -hmm. a higher level, on a legislative level, they can work together to do that. Well, very cool. Those are, those are all the questions that I have. Are there things that you think are important that we're not talking about, questions that I haven't asked? I think that pretty much covers it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and, and being here. I, well, I guess I should add, just you, you mentioned what does a school district do, you know, as far as identifying issues? Mm -hmm. We are always reachable. I mean, I, I mentioned my website, or our firm's website, f3law.com, forward slash privacy is where all the privacy resources are, resources are. But, you know, school administrators, if they have questions, pressing issues, new and evolving issues, we love to know about them because we want to help them be out in front of issues also. Right. So they're always welcome to contact us. All right. Thank well, you for your time. This was fun. You.
So a big thanks to Gretchen Shipley for talking to us today. Man, I learned a lot, and now I'm a little bit nervous about complying with privacy laws just in my everyday life. I know, right? We're probably being really problematic, like, even now. <sighs> True. Well, I'm Mary Dramatta, and I'm a little bit nervous right now. And I'm Blake Montgomery. Thanks for listening. This is the EdSurge Podcast.